Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels, episode 55. I am your host, Rafe Houston, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. He weighs in at over 5,000 Instagram followers. It is the J-Stick, J-X, fucking T. How are you today, sir? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for the awesome intro and letting the people know. They can follow me at JXT underscore official, and um, I'm here and ready to go. Man, Everybody needs to know how much of a legend JXT is. He jumped in today with me with like no notice and he's literally driving to the heavyweight tournament. <laughs> the juice is worth the squeeze right now. The first ever mobile podcast interview I've ever done. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, I apologize to anyone listening for the quality. Like Anyone that knows me would know that I'd love to be at home in my studio with the mic and the proper setup. But Jay gave me the call last night in the middle of taking training and I was like oh this is a promoter the night before the show this might be important um it's, hey can you do this interview tomorrow and this is the only time I had was on the way to the show so um, I apologize for the quality but I'm always happy to jump in and help out dude so funny you're like oh it, it's the promoter it might be something important no it's just uh do you want to do a free podcast uh <laughs> moments before you need to go and wrestle great yeah I oh, know I see that stuff as important still but you know yeah like, yeah we're not, we're not a massive, like, no wrestler in Australia is making, you know, six figures living here. So, um, yeah, any help we can get to promote and get the word out there, doing podcasts like yours and other shows and anything, really, it's all help. So it's all important. Oh, well, awesome, man. I appreciate that sentiment. And I love what you guys have been doing. And I've been loving uh, chipping in and helping out where I can and really just shining a light on the the show. So for anybody that's unfamiliar with JXT, you've obviously got a pretty storied history and you've kind of been all over the world, man. Um, but I like to kind of rewind all the way back um, to the beginning. Can you kind of remember what sort of like the first uh, faces of wrestling that really appealed to you were, like the first guys that jumped out to you and made you fall in love with the, the medium? Yeah, I remember it vividly. I was four years old. I had never seen wrestling or even heard of wrestling. I went to my cousin's house. My cousin was, I think, about five, four or five years older than me. Mm-hmm. So I was, I'm the oldest, so I sort of looked up to him as, like, the cool older cousin. And it was 1997, peak Attitude Era, and he's like, we have to play this game on the PlayStation. I didn't have a PlayStation yet, so I was just excited to play video games. Yeah. It's called WWF Warzone. Great I'll be Undertaker. You can be Kane. They're brothers, and we'll be a tag team. And I was hooked. That's sick. <laughs> what a great way to get introduced. Yeah. yeah, loved it. And then, like, every weekend I was asking, you know, my parents to take me to my cousins just so we could play this game. And then it was renting them because we didn't have Foxdale and I couldn't stay up late to watch it. My parents, as a four-year-old, in the middle of the Attitude Era, my parents were a bit eh on me getting into wrestling and watching it so much. But um, whenever I could rent videos, obviously went and bought the games originally, uh, initially, and then, yeah, whatever I could do, I just became obsessed. Yeah, wow. So it started purely as like a, a video game medium for you and then like transitioned into the shows and stuff, right? Yeah, so as I would play with my cousin, he would then be like, oh, let's watch it. We recorded the show from this week. Oh, let's watch this pay-per-view video I've got, you know, and then, yeah. Right, right. So so you knew it, you knew it was like real or you, you knew there was like a, something it was based around. I had an interview recently with a guy, um, The Struggles, who was telling me about when he was first exposed to it. It was via a b- video game, but he just thought it was a game. You know what I mean? Like he never knew that it was yeah. a real thing until way later. 
No, no, because my cousin was pretty diehard about it, him and my uncle. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we watch it all the time. Do you want to watch it with us as well? And, yeah, so as soon as I knew it was a game, I was pretty much introduced to the real-life product and hooked. From then on out. Do, do the, they yeah. both still follow it to this day? Do I? Uh, do they? Like, uh, do your cousin uh, yeah. and uncle still watch? Yeah, they not only still watch, they come to a lot of my shows. They're probably my most regular supporters. Um, That's great. They come to a show almost every month or every other month. Um, yeah, they're, they're great. And, you know, I've never forgotten. <laughs> they're the reason that I found wrestling and fell in love with it. So, um, yeah, they still love it. I'm not sure how much they watch currently. But I know they're still big fans of wrestling in there. They support me a lot. Oh, that's awesome, man. So you're, you're a young kid. You're, you're into it. You're watching it whenever you can. You're playing the video games. At what point and how do you sort of find your way into training? Uh, so, you know, like you're a kid and it's like I mean, you fall in love with it straight yeah. away. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm going to be a wrestler when I grow up. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. And then as you get older, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. And then as you're like 14 and 15 at high school and your career's counselor meeting and you're telling your career's counselor you're going to be a professional wrestler and they're telling you, no, you need a real career. Yeah. Um, you, and then your parents, and my parents weren't against wrestling, but like I said, attitude area, you're a four-year-old, four-year-old. As I became almost more obsessed with it, my parents sort of tried to push it away and almost hide it. Yeah. In, in a lot of few ways, and I think almost out of spite, like, you're like, oh, you, it's a classic yeah, case, if you tell yeah. a kid you, they can't yeah. have something they wanted. Yeah. So the more that I, they told me you can't be a wrestler, the more I wanted to be a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, through high school, I, um, as, I wish I had it, and I've tried to find it. As, like, a 15, 16-year-old, I actually messaged Cracker Jack on MySpace. Yeah. And I was like, hey, how do I become a wrestler? It's my life goal. And he actually was awesome. He messaged me back, like, there's your school in Sunshine, which was about half an hour from where I lived. He's like, you need to be 18, but once you are, you can go down there and you can sign up or ask for a tryout and take it from there. Because um, I, I not only went, tried to go to shows, like, when WWE would come out, mm. but I used to go to the local wrestling, too, and uh, I think it was ARPW, which ended up becoming NAW, used to do shows in Melton, where I grew up and lived. And they would do a show there three or four times a year as a kid. Yeah. Up until I was about 12. Mm-hmm. So I knew who George Julio was, Cracker Jack, Mike Manson, Slick Steve, Steve Valick, all these guys I watched as a kid. Yeah. Um, so I, I went MySpace to become a thing. I contacted Cracker Jack. He said, there's a school. So I was aware of it. Yeah. It's like when, when that kind of stuff is local and stuff, it must seem, especially when you're a young guy, like that much more obtainable. I, I grew up in like country western australia so like local wrestling wasn't a thing for me you know like the wwf like seemed so far away that was like an impossible thing that i could ever consider you know like how could i ever cross the world and train and and do these things it was impossible and it wasn't an um until i kind of moved to to like the big city and went to uni and stuff like that and to be honest even then i didn't know about it because epw probably was only just getting going and stuff uh yeah. even semi-recently, that I knew there was wrestling in Perth, you know? <laughs> like, so it, yeah. it, all, it all just seems far away. So it must have been so cool for you to be able to go to those shows and be like, I could do this. If I, if I can get in and train with these guys and I can work that hard, I could be standing in that ring like that. And it must have made it seem a lot more yeah. obtainable. It's a weird thing. So, like, 
we run a training school now and I meet so many people come in and I'm like, they're so disillusioned to what wrestling is. And I'm like, what did you expect this to be? Like, have you not seen this before? Yeah. But then like, I was like that obsessed. Like I'll be reading up like as a 13 year old on like dirt sheets and how wrestling works and tricks of the trade. And I knew what working and a shoot was and a hold was and what a mark was and Mm. selling was at 15. And like, as like you said, having it locally, I knew that there was a company locally and I knew there was wrestling in Australia and I knew that I could start there. And then, I don't know, I just never second-guessed it. And mm. I was like, oh, Crackerjack, he has MySpace. Wow, I can message him. Bang. Um, yeah, there was just never any doubt and never any holdback. I was like, yep, here it is. Go for it. Mm. Um, it's very possible. Like, when they had, the, they used to run this, the local indoor soccer center in Melton where I live. And I purposely asked for a birthday party at the soccer center, which on a normal birthday party would be you play indoor soccer, indoor cricket, a few games, and have a cake. Yeah. But I purposely knew that they set the ring up the night before. So if I booked my birthday <laughs> nice. at the venue, the day the show was, the ring would be there, right? Yeah. So I did this on purpose. And my parents knew what I like. They knew why. And I was, it was at my 10th birthday party. They're like, this little and fucker's up to something here. <laughs> no, but they knew. But they spoke to the owner. And he was All like, right. we'll let him go in the ring. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed on the ropes and stuff, but they can muck around. And we've got this footage of... Like, my 10th birthday, we all were, like, wrestling in the NAW. That's ring. so I cool, man. Match in, but, yeah. And I've got all these photos of me. It's like, a ten, in the 10th birthday, we're in the ring. Like, so, yeah, it was never... I understand where you're coming from because, yeah, from Perth and out in the country, there's no wrestling. It seems so far away. But for me, it was like, here's wrestling. I'm going to hunt it down. It's right in front of me, and there's no <laughs> there's no way I'm not getting in there. Yeah, and, that, and that's so awesome, bro. Like, when I think about you, like, saying, like, a career counselor going, what are you going to do? You're like, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. And they're like, oh, no, you need to. And you're like, no, nah, I've seen these dudes doing it. Like, they're not even that far away from me. I can definitely just go there and do it. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it sees a lot more. The beauty, the beauty was I started wrestling at 17, so I was still in high school. Yeah. And I'd had a handful of matches. I reckon I'd had about, you know, 10 matches. Mm-hmm. And I bumped into that careers counselor again, and I was like, "Do you remember when you laughed at me when I when you said when I said this to you?" Yeah. She's like, "No, nah, not really." I'm like, "Well, you did, and I have a match this weekend, and I've had about ten of them now, yeah. and it's happening, and it's going to happen." And she like sort of laughed. It was like, huh, "All right then." Yeah, just no idea, no idea. Yeah, cool. exactly. Yeah, thanks. That, well, you know what? The, those kind of uh, moments in our life, you know, those negative things, they can only help to motivate you sometimes, you know what I mean? And all those people, like your parents trying to hide it from you, the career counsellor not thinking it's possible, all these things uh, only help, you know, fuel those, like that that work ethic. Like you, everybody has those moments when you're doing anything creative, you know, where you're like, does this suck? Do I suck at this? Why am I wasting my time? This is really hard. And then that's the kind of fuel sometimes that you can lean back on. Not always the most positive fuel, but fuel nonetheless, where you go, you know what? Everybody said I couldn't do this. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> and keep rolling. Feel so that's of, like, e- ego and spite. Like, yeah. My parents have been very supportive. Like, my dad was very, like, you're, you're a dickhead. Why are you starting wrestling? You're not going to be a wrestler. Yeah. And I almost grew out of it. But what, like, when I was, like, say, 16, you know, I started playing sport at a quite serious level with basketball. And, you know, you're growing up, you're becoming an adult, you start working part-time at a job, you have money, and there's girls, you're going out, you're playing sport, and it's wrestling, really, I fell away from it. Yeah. But it was more so that, like, I still collected wrestling figures. Yeah. And as a 16-year-old, my dad banned me from, like, buying wrestling figures. I was banned. What? Even though I worked. And I was like, 
And it was more like a, fuck you, I'm not stopping this because you told me. Yeah. Um, and then I would just buy them secretly and he wouldn't know. Like, what's it for him? But, <laughs> yeah, and I, I swear that I would have fallen, not fallen out of wrestling, because I never disliked wrestling. Mm-hmm. But as, yeah, I got older, and you do, you like naturally don't watch it. Now you're not a, as fan of, a fan as much as, because as I grew up, wrestling went from being the attitude era when I started to as I become a teen, it goes PG. Yeah. So it's almost the opposite. It's almost like polar opposites to me being the demographic. Yeah. So it was a natural cause of me falling out of it. But same, it was, yeah, exactly it the same, man. Yeah. Fight, you sort of, you're right. Like a fuck you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Yeah, exactly. And like, and then you're looking at it, and it seems so hard. And at the same time, it also doesn't seem that cool because ruthless aggression and stuff is like pretty lame. And you're like, this isn't really what I'm about anyway. Uh, but oh, not the ruthless aggression. Ruthless aggression was fucking peak. Oh, oh peak, peak for you. Oh, so now we're now we're now we're revealing how old I really am. So <laughs> like in '97, I'm four, right? Okay, right, right. So to give you yeah, some like context, I'm graduating high school in '99. <laughs> so. Yeah, 2003 and four. I'm like, you know, 11, 12, yeah. 13. Yeah. I'm like the demographic, but then as ruthless aggression ends, they go PG. Right, and I'm right. becoming a teenager. Oh, okay, and, and it's like, hey, this used to be cool. What happened to Austin flipping people off mm. and CX saying suck it? Oh, now we're not allowed to say that now. Yeah, and when you're 15, and it's no longer called the FU, it's called the attitude adjustment. Yeah, and you're sitting there going, what happened to cool wrestling? It's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is lame I now. I loved wrestling. <laughs> And every other aspect, and like, I just fell out of WWE, and because that's the mainstream, and a lot of what we had, like, I would watch TNA a lot yeah. in that era, mm-hmm. but there's only so much of it we could get out here. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so you you drop out of it; it's not as cool and stuff. What uh, what are some of the, uh, the things that like drag you back in? Well, I stopped watching, but I would still collect wrestling figures, mm-hmm. and I would um go on the wrestling figs message boards because I loved wrestling figures. Because I'm not even talk like joking here. The classic superstars wrestling line kept me in. Mm-hmm. Because although I didn't care much for the current product, the classic superstars was what I was what I was like raised on and I yeah. was like, this is awesome. I can go and buy Austin and Taker yeah. and Mankind and Brett mm-hmm. and NWO Hogan and like I would still collect figures. So I would still be in touch with what's happening through the message boards. And then I met Jake Navara through a friend I used to work with at Safeway. Because, mm-hmm. again, although I wasn't watching wrestling, I was working at Safeway, which is now Woolworths, which is a supermarket. Yeah. And one of my colleagues um, was like, oh, um, your friend's a wrestler. Uh, Josh is always, his life goal is to be a wrestler as well. So they met, introduced me to Jake, and then Jake's like, yeah, you can come do a tryout. Mm-hmm. And I was 17, and I was like, yep. And it was almost like, and I tell people this now, if you want a job, you just got to tell everyone you're looking for that job or you're in the market or you're wanting the job. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing because I told so many people, like, my life goal is to be a wrestler. Even though I'd fallen out of watching wrestling, it was still, like, in my head, like, I'm going to be a wrestler. Yeah. And it sort of came to me in that sense. And then, yeah, I met Jake, and I went for a tryout, and I've never stopped ever since. 
exactly that that's amazing man like and it, it's funny that like you held on to that the whole time and it was something that you broadcasted to people you know you weren't really ashamed of it you're like yeah i'm gonna do this one day i'll get there i, yeah. I don't know what that path is but i'm gonna do it and some people be like it's a pretty weird thing to say but all right <laughs> you know and you, well, you even just kept cruising detriment, like i remember telling promoters when i was like four years in like my goal is to get signed and be a full-time professional wrestler and it cost me a lot of heat and a lot of promoters thought I was just this arrogant little fuck. And to an extent, I was. But, like, if you don't have that burn inside you that you're going to make it and I'll show you, then what, what hope have you got? Yeah, exactly. you just got to keep cruising, Matt. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, through your hard work and you'd hope through your hard work and your positive attitude and things like that, they're going to eventually see past that anyway. But, you know, the small-minded people in all walks of life, really. You'd hope that would be the case, yeah. But it's not like it's not always. But then again, like you said, the more people that tell you you can't and think you're an idiot for thinking you can, the harder you work at it, and the more yeah you go for it. Exactly right. So, uh, so you you start training. You're you're in there with those guys. How long is it before you debut? Uh, I trained for about six months. Yeah. Um, which is ironic now because now with the relentless school of pro wrestling and we're training people. You, it all sort of comes back to you, like how you went when you first started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was playing like state-level sports, um, so I was quite fit. Yeah. Although I wasn't necessarily strong, I was quite fit, and I knew how to train hard and stuff. And yeah, the physical side of wrestling came very naturally to me, luckily. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, within six months, I was on shows and thrown in the deep end a little, but that was sort of the style of training they had, which... I've seen a lot of guys that probably could have gone on to be wrestlers because they got thrown in the deep end so quickly. And it sort of made them fizzle out. Yeah. But for me, the physical side I picked up right away. So, yeah, it, it, um, it all happened really quickly. Yeah. Um, obviously, you train and stuff. I, I did an interview recently with Callan Butcher, and, and he mentioned going to your guy's school and, and you guys critiquing him and, and helping him bump better and, and all these kind of things. Do, do you think that as a, a teacher now, you would teach yourself the same way? You know what I mean? Like like the training that you had when you initially went to it, now that you look at that with your kind of students, are you like, no way would I just let this dude be out there like within six months? Yeah. We speak about this regularly. Like yeah. Jake Navarra, who um, does myself, Jake Navarra and the Big Rig Fox run the Relentless School of Pro Wrestling. So, so Jake Navarro was the guy you spoke to in Safeway, right? Like, so it goes yes. back that so far. That, wow, okay. The guy that had been wrestling for three, four years and introduced me to getting into wrestling, he um, he trained me initially at George Julio's gym, uh-huh. and he trained Fox as well, and now the three of us together run the wrestling school. That's yeah. amazing. That's cool. But um, for sure, like, we tell, like, Jake tells guys, he's like, guys, he goes, I knew how to do an arm drag and a hip toss, and they threw me into my first match, and I got German, and I didn't know what to do, and the guy just said, just jump, and I jumped and almost landed on my neck. Wow. You know? Yeah. And, but that's the thing, like, back, but again, it's a, wrestling has come so far, and even in the 10 years since I've been doing it, it has come so far in how safe we are, the way we do things. And case in point to Callum, like, the guys training him probably hadn't been overseas and, like, being like, oh, this is how you bump better and snappier, and this is how you make this work. Because Cullen's a great worker, and we just cleaned up some few little things for him, and then everything just went bang. And it yeah. was awesome to see, because he's got all the tools, mm-hmm. and that's what happens with a lot of guys that come in pre-training. They've got all the tools, but the fundamentals at the start were brushed over. Yeah. 
and that, yeah, that, and that we were the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I feel the worst for Jake. Jake went over to Booker T's, and they were like, "Yeah, you guys are really good, except it seems like you were trained in 1960." <laughs> Jake's like, "Well, that makes sense because our trainer George Julio was the headliner in the 1960s, and he trained us." And they're like, "Yeah, what you're doing is not wrong. It's just outdated." Yeah. Um, and it's taken so long. And even myself, when I went over, although I did a lot of training here and when I could, when I went overseas again, it was like, "Yeah, what you're doing is great, but you can do more and this and this and this. You're not doing these little things." Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been a big learning curve, but it's great. You know, hopefully we can help teach that here and raise the standard. That's our goal. Yeah, that, it's, it's so important, man, and it really speaks to, like, the quality of uh, training that you guys are putting out, that you're critiquing those little things and not just, like, you know, washing over the awkward conversations and things like that. It's like we're here to help you have the correct tools to do this for as long as possible, as safely as possible. You know, that's, like, amazing. Yeah. Big time. It's very, it's so important. And it's like when we first started, we got about six months in and I said to the boys, I'm like, are we too harsh on them? Because they're like anal about like, yeah. you're not facing the right way. Your, leg, your foot's not facing the right way. You took the too small a step. And I was, we were like, oh, we'll see. And then the next week we threw them in the deep end. And because their fundamentals were so good, because we were so anal and so nitpicky on every little thing, all the stuff come together like, like, like so quickly and it was like ah that's why we're doing it like this we're doing the right thing yeah that's great man right. so so i guess next step then in the career you're doing that how how do you get to the point where and i guess how long before you start touring because obviously you had like big uh usa kind of uh runs and things like that so at which point do you do you get there by does somebody book you or something or do you do that off your own back no i wish <laughs> um, yeah, did, people, they didn't send a plane ticket? Where, no? I, I don't know where that comes from. No one... Because, yeah, wrestlers do. They're like, how do you get booked overseas? And I was like, you don't. Yeah. You need to go there mm-hmm. and train and yeah. train hard. Mm-hmm. And literally, like, the WrestlePro was the best one. So when I was... I was 2016, I flew myself to OVW for two weeks and yeah. then I went to Chikara for two weeks, met some people. And in that time, I worked a WrestlePro show through a friend. Yeah, wow. At that young. Like, yeah, Pro, wow. wow this, is, this is the place. Uh-huh. Then in 2019, I just contacted Kevin Matthews, who I'd met that time at that one show I worked for them, and said, hey, I'm going to fly myself out for three months. Is it okay if I come and train with you guys? He's like, yeah, sure. You can come and train with us, of course. Um, and that was all I'd had. People think I had this whole tour lined up. Of course, online, you make it seem like the biggest deal you can. Yeah. But the reality was I had two bookings, and they weren't even guaranteed. Yeah, and that were only, and they weren't booked in. Like I flew myself there. I booked my own accommodation, which was dangerously scary, and I had to get out of there. <laughs> Luckily, KM let me live on his couch, but I had no bookings. I just went there and trained. And the first week was WrestleMania week, and I said I want to help as much as I can. I took money at the merch table. I took the photos for bloody uh, the talent that they brought in. I did the ring crew, obviously. I trained every day, and after five days, they're like. This guy's flown himself all the way here and he has a better attitude than anyone we've seen. Let's yeah. put him on the show. Yeah. They put me on the show and they're like, wow, he can work. Wow, he has gear. Holy shit. How long have you, did you say you've been doing this? Because anyone can say, hey, I've been wrestling eight years, seven years, ten years. But I've met wrestlers that they told me they've been wrestling 15 years. They don't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch. Yeah. So it's all good to say that. But when until they see it, they saw the attitude most importantly. They seen the work ethic, and then they seen my work, and then a combination of that. Then I started getting bookings, and then by the end of my sort of three-month tour, the last sort of 
three to four weeks, that's when things really sort of took off. Yeah, exactly. So you just bet on yourself, now, booked a plane ticket and went. Yes, literally. Amazing. So, yeah, and that's what I tell wrestlers. They're like, how do you get it? I'm like, you've just got to go there. and Almost like if you were to start wrestling here tomorrow, you need to train, and if you're good enough, you'll get booked on a show, and if you're good enough, you'll keep getting booked on a show. You have to go there and swallow your pride and go there as a nobody because it didn't matter how many thousand followers I had or years of experience or big matches or championships I'd won, no one there knew who the fuck I was. Yeah. Because the reality is people don't watch our shit and slowly things are changing. Things like having DMDU on IWTV is a massive huge. thing for us because fans are getting to watch our shit from overseas in different areas. But... And before that, no one did. So I went over there and I was like, who's this, who's this new guy? Oh, he seems like he knows how to bump. Oh, he can roll. Holy shit, he can lock up. Wow, he can work. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. You just go from being like another face of the ring crew and stuff to slowly carving out like a reputation as being like a good person who works hard, who may have something to offer. And then never, am- amongst all the social media stuff, amongst all the, th- the nameless faces and wrestlers and stuff in the world, Nothing is better. Like it's always, and this is in music, this is in business, this is in anything. It's not what you know; it's who you know. And so, the more yeah. more contacts you can get, the and, and as people get to know you and know that positive attitude and realize you're a good person to be around, then things will spiral from that. If you just sit around waiting for opportunities, that ain't going to come. Yeah, and like. And like, they're like that, obviously you have followers, you have a following, and then they look like you go to train. Before you go to train, they're like, oh, you can come. Oh, yeah, you seem like you sort of might, he might be a dickhead. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Then you rock up. Like, oh, he's actually nice. Oh, yeah, he has a good attitude. Then they look you up. They're like, oh, you've done this and you've done this. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're going to do this. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, and then but things happen quick, but you've got to go in humble and do the right stuff from the start. And yeah. you need to tick every box and give, you need to give, you only have to give one reason for them to not book you. And yeah. you're dead in the water. Yeah. So you need to go in with the right attitude, humble, and start from the bottom and literally know that nobody knows who you are. And I think that might be a reason a lot of wrestlers in Australia sometimes haven't gone overseas when they could have gone and been very successful because it's quite humbling wrestling for, you know, eight, nine years mm-hmm. to then going overseas and realizing nobody knows who you are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like you, know? like you can be quite so a big that, fish in that, that small pond, yeah. Yeah, and, and I meet people now still on local shows here, just in Australia, that haven't been overseas, and they're like, yeah, well, I'll do this move, and then I'll do my this thing, and I'm like, what's that? And they're like, oh, you know this. I'm like, no, I don't. I've never seen you wrestle, man. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. We live in such a small bubble. Yeah. Because we work on a lot of the same shows regularly, it's so easy to get lost in that. Yeah. But if you ever want that wake-up call, just go overseas and tell any of us to go overseas and go to a new territory and be like, hey, I'm a wrestler, and they'll be like, sure, show us. Yeah. Exactly. You've got to prove it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, quickly rewinding, tell me about this accommodation that you had to flee. What happened there? So, I didn't have much money, mm-hmm. and I was, I'm going to go for three months. I quit my job. I'm a graphic designer. Yeah. I quit my job and said I'm going. I booked it. I booked Airbnb, the cheapest one I could find, which was the closest to the WrestlePro school in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Because I'd already sussed out, hey, if I come for three months to the school, to Creative Pro in New Jersey, can I train? And Pat Buck and Kevin Matthews were like, yeah, of course. Um, I was like, sweet. So then I had to find accommodation. And then at the time, I was like, can I stay with anyone? Like, I'd rather pay one of the boys than 
a fucking hotel. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we'll ask. They go, but you know, three months is a long time for someone you don't know to live with. I'm like, yeah, I'll get that. Yeah. Anyway, so I come. And after the first night, they're like, oh, okay. And Kevin Matthews like, I'll drop you home. And he drops me off. And he's like, this is the shadiest neighborhood ever. And he's like, you're going to fucking die, man. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, look at the crime stats. And he starts looking at us. Oh, no. And then he's like, dude, you have like a one in ten chance of getting shot or stabbed every day. Jesus and Christ. Like, Great. And you got this Australian with dreadlocks and fake tan walking. And I, I did. I walked to the gym. I walked to the shops. And I did. I seen like gangs staring at me and stuff. But like, fuck, I'm from Melbourne. I'm from the west suburbs of Melbourne. Fuck, no one can touch me. <laughs> and Kevin's like, dude, you're going to fucking die. Cancel your Airbnb. You can live on my couch until we find you a place. Yeah. And then after a week, he's like, fuck it, man. You're cool. Just stay there. Just pay me like a one quarter of what you were going to fucking pay there and you can live on my couch. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, I always say Kevin, Kevin Matthews saved my life. <laughs> He probably did, eh? That sounds uh, that sounds sketchy as all fuck. Yeah, but when you're in there, you're trying to convince yourself it's not that bad. Yeah, like, it's, no, it's not that bad. You're making the best of it. You've paid for it now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, yeah, that's I a, got through. Uh, any other fun, um, sort of crazy on the road stories? Like, uh, it's obviously uh, like ones a, that I can tell. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want to get you in any uh, trouble. Um, obviously, nah, going my from my favourite one was there was I don't I don't know what happened, but there was an incident with a pizza getting thrown in a pizza shop at like three AM with me and Janella and then pretty and this yeah, it was um pretty wild. Uh, look, I, I have met uh Joey Janella ever so briefly uh in Las Vegas and I've got a photo on my wall here. And I went, hey, Joey, big fan. And I've got a photo of him hugging me like I'm, I don't know, a baby or something like that. He's, he's hugging me so tightly and warmly. He's just like such a personality to me immediately. So it doesn't surprise me that uh, any kind of hijinks would be happening while he's around. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's wild. He, um, he's a good man. He, um, he look, Again, he's another guy that, was just going to the same gym as me and knew Kevin Matthews and so because he was training with us and knew Kevin. But me and Kevin would go to the gym, we would bump into Joey and then Joey's like, dude, do you drink much? I'm like, yeah, I go out every weekend back home. I'm from Australia. Um, he's like, Kevin doesn't drink. I'm like, yeah, no shit. I haven't drank in like two months and do, doing my head in. Oh, I wasn't two months. It was like four weeks or something but it felt like forever. Yeah. He's like, dude, let's go out then. And then it, that was it. Every night we'd go out. Just party. But, um, Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and so what area is this that you guys are based in at this point? So I was staying in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Russell yeah. Pro School is Creator Pro New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Russell Pro run Railway New Jersey, the Railway Rec Center, mm-hmm. which is Jersey All Pro used to run there, which then turned into sort of, didn't turn into, but as that fizzled out, Russell Pro sort of took that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ran by KM, Kevin Matthews, and Pat Buck. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd work, I'd train with them every week. I'd wrestle... And legit, I would reach out to every promotion I've seen. I'd ask any of the boys, if you're on a show, can I come? I would reach out to shows and be like, hey, I want to be on this show. And get as many bookings as I can on The Hustle on Twitter, on the Instagram, and then just from word of mouth and talking to people too. Oh, that's awesome, man. Just out, out there grinding. Yeah. So the, th- the three... Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the only way, right? And so at the end of yeah. that three months, uh, are you trying to extend or are you ready to come home at that point? Well, I, 
couldn't extend because the way the visa works is it's a tourist visa. You can only go for three months. Yeah, right. So I came back home. I booked another trip to Alaska because KM runs Russell Pro Alaska. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, come on this trip. So I did. And then I come back. And then I'd had another trip booked, which would have been March. It was March 2020. It was literally like a week right. before the COVID lockdown. Yeah. But that was irrelevant because I had the three months booked. I flew all the way to America. I get off the plane. I go to go through customs, and they're like, why are you here? I'm like, a holiday. Where are you going? And then they pull me into a room, and they're interviewing me, and they're like, what are you really here for? And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And they're like, what's this about? And they're like, wrestling. I'm like, I don't get paid for that. I'm here to do some training. I do some shows. I said, but I don't get paid. And um, they arrested me and put me into a holding cell. What? And they, for, 15, for 15 hours, I was there as an illegal alien, they called it. Oh. And then they sent me back on the next plane to Melbourne after 15 hours, after being in that cell, and my whole trip was cancelled. What? That was not how I saw this story going. I thought maybe, you know, COVID-19 yeah. happened, had to get turned around, you know, that kind of thing. Really, they decided that you were there to work uh, on a tourist they visa? They didn't even I mean, say that. Yeah. They, legally, they don't need to give me a reason to not let me in. They can just not like me and not like look at me and say, no, nah, we're not letting you in. And in the end, that's what happened. They said, look, because they couldn't prove that I was getting paid or anything because I wasn't. Yeah. But they said, look, we've deemed you're coming in here for the wrong reasons. But the guy was all right. He said, what we're doing is I signed this form and it's like, I'm withdraw- I've, I've, you've got here, we've told you you have the wrong visa. You've realized you're withdrawing your thing to enter and you've just got to go back home and get the right visa. Right. But the problem was I get on the plane and they don't give you your stuff until you get on the plane and they give you this envelope and it has your phone, your wallet, your passport, your ID. And it's meant to have all the paperwork you signed or a copy of it. Yeah. Paperwork wasn't in there. Oh. I've gone through the Freedom of Information Act, the Freedom of Rights, the Charter of Rights for America. I've contacted lawyers who also said that they should have let me in. I was doing nothing wrong. Yeah. Um, but I can no longer go back on the tourist visa and I have no proof that anything even happened. Oh, my God. And, yeah, so everyone's like, when are you coming back to America? And I'm like, well, unless I get signed by a major company that gets me a work visa, I don't see it happening. Oh, dude, that, is, that sucks. Yeah, so I'm pretty cooked. Oh, yeah, man. But, and everyone's like, oh, well, it's a blessing in disguise. You got sent back because COVID here. I'm like, no, it's not a blessing in disguise. I can never go back on a tourist visa. Yeah. I'm like, there's no blessing in that at all because reality is I need to get a contract to get over there. And without being there and being seen, getting a contract going to be very hard. Oh, Man, that's yeah. that's because I had some just, awesome opportunities lined up to yeah. get seen and looked at. And, yeah, yeah, but what can you do? Yeah, oh well, I no. guess keep grinding here and see how it goes. So, has, is there any kind of date on when that expires when you can do a tourist visa, or is it like a black mark against you now? No, no, it's a black mark. Well, I don't know. I have no proof. I have nothing. I don't have a piece of paper. I went through the Freedom of Information Act. They said no. There's nothing to give you. So I don't know if the guy didn't process it. But I, all I have is, like, a number that they wrote on my passport. I have no proof that anything happened. I don't know. He just told me you can't come here on a tourist visa again. Right. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to a lawyer. He doesn't think it's true. He also thinks they should have let me in. Um, so, yeah. I don't want to fly all the way there and risk it without a, tour, without a work visa, but I have no proof. Yeah, I'm in a really shit spot in that. So that's why I'm hoping things like, you know, Mayhem Pro and DMDU here take off. And hopefully a company does eventually see me and go, wow, we could use that on our shows. Let's sign him up. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah I've been really hamstrung here and um, sucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, once all the all the 
uh, COVID stuff is done and travel starts going, I don't know, maybe you can apply for a tourist visa and if you get approved, maybe you can just get in and, you know, it was all for nothing. But Well, no, I can, I can pay and apply for a tourist visa and get it. That's no worries. But they won't let me in on that tourist visa. That's the issue. Right. So even if, COVID, even if COVID clears up and it's like, oh, everyone's free to travel wherever they want, it's irrelevant. Like, I feel I'm going to need a contract. And a right. So, yeah, you, yeah, you don't know for sure what's going to happen when you get off that plane, right? You could walk in and they could just go, nah, and send you straight back again. Yeah, without, well, with, on a tourist visa, I'm pretty sure that they'll just say no. Yeah. Oh, dude. And if I try it again, I'm sure I'll be going to jail. <laughs> yeah, okay, so... Because at the time, I didn't know. Like, I was like, I've done nothing wrong, and I had, and I've spoken to lawyers, and I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But... If they were like, well, you did do something wrong and you're trying to do it again, then I don't know. Where that goes. And even if you get proven right in the long run or whatever, how long does that take and what does that mean for you? Yeah, that that's Yeah, sucks. like, it's when the frustrating thing is I speak to, like, uh, visa lawyers and they're like, no, you shouldn't have any issues. And I'm like, that doesn't help me because I'm not... Like, I can't just take this risk, like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I don't need to be going over there and going to prison, like, without it knowing what's going to yeah. happen. Well, I did. I was locked up for 15 hours in a cell, so, like, Dude. Yeah. What was that like? Were you on your own, or were you, like, in... Like, nah, it was sort of like a group cell. It was a bit weird. It was almost like a bit more like a room. Yeah. But I understand, like, I could imagine jail being horrible. You don't have your phone in your wallet, and obviously these bad things just happen. Yeah. And I'm laying in there and I'm just going, like, in my head, going over and over every little detail. And I was starting to go insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty messed up. Yeah, that that is horrible, man. Well, what, what I can say is that the work that you have been putting in... Uh, on Deathmatch Down Under, like on an IWTV, uh, in all the other places in Australia, you've been absolutely killing it. You, know? you stand out immediately on all the shows as a star. The stuff that you and Fox are doing as blacklisted is really cool. So you've never had a better platform, at least in my eyes, to have those potential opportunities come to your door. How, how have you found all of that? Like, How did those initial conversations uh, start with you getting into that stuff? Yeah, no, nah, thanks. It's um, it's something I thank the DMDU guys after every show because I'm like, thank you for giving us a platform because without them, I'd yeah, I'd be screwed. I'd be sitting here, you know, doing shows in front of nobody, you know, or like doing these little spot shows for nothing. Um, without any, not so much for nothing, but without anyone seeing it, you know, yeah. it's such a hard thing to break into that market over in the states, and thankfully. They brought. They landed this IWTV deal, and I told the other workers, "I'm like, this is a huge deal." Yeah. And they're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "You wait." And then the f- the first show went up, and I remember Fox was like, "Dude, my Twitter's blowing up." I'm like, "I told you this would happen." Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, but I didn't believe you or expect this much." I'm like, "I told you." I'm like, "You know," because I'd experienced that when I was there, when I was on IWTV, when I did Beyond Wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, when you I was involved in a match with Orange Cassidy and Jordan Grace, like my wow. thing exploded. Yeah. But this. Yeah, and so it's so good. And when when it sort of started, and it's funny because as much as it can be like, oh, he's really good, he's done all this stuff, when new promotions start, it's almost like, I don't know if people are scared or intimidated, but to get, like, I message them and be like, I want to be involved and I will do anything I can to help and be a part of this. And even still, like, 
we had there's been like one there's been two secret shows and I hadn't been on them and like the second show I was like what the fuck more do I need to do to get on these shows and they're like nothing you're great and I'm like well why am I not on them like <laughs> the thing is we get we get so um I guess it's sort of almost seen as like oh well JXT's made like he's great let's push the younger talents like no I haven't made it I'm on the same level like I need these bookings more just as much if not more than anyone else because there's less time for me. You know, I'm still hungrier than ever. Yeah. And the fact that someone that trains less than me is getting on these shows and isn't up to the standard I am, and I'm sitting in the fucking crowd, pisses me off. But, you know, like I went straight to him and I was like, guys, I'll do anything I can to get on these shows. I want to be a part. Let's make this happen. Let's make this work. And I have a picture. I'm like, I'm one of the only talents in Victoria that's been on IWTV. I think I am. Or I was. Yeah. I'm like, it's a match made in heaven. It makes complete sense. And then once they see like that, they're like, oh, yeah, you're right, you know. And it wasn't that they, they thought I was shit or anything. They just didn't – they were thinking of using me anyway. Yeah. But it was – and I was like, please, we need to do this. And then once that happened and then, again, just like when I was in the States, we had the first show, like, oh, you guys did really well. Thank you. And we had the second show and the third show, and they're like, you guys doing well. And little things like this, hey, we need you for a podcast last minute, or hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do a promo for us by tomorrow? Yeah. All that, all the things and doing the right things by the promotion for the thing to grow with the attitude, you know, it shows and then they're like, wow, he does all, all this stuff for us, he does a good job, you know, and so thankfully now I've been a mainstay, which I'm forever grateful for because without them, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. <laughs> yeah, dude, like your work ethic just shines through, man. Like you come across so professional, you're obviously a, a teacher, a, a worker, like a great promo, or... All you can keep on doing is keep grinding, man, and that that will shine through. I just know it. Like you, you stand out like a star. So, like uh, I think with your attitude, like you, you can only see great things for for JXT, man. And I think, uh, like in speaking to you now, I also start to see uh, the antithesis or where you guys started to come up with the idea of the blacklisted thing. I mean, you're straight up blacklisted from America at the moment, so it kind of makes sense where that negativity come from and where somebody that you've known as long as like. Fox and stuff would pull together and create like a really cool unit, man. Yeah, it's funny. Like the, the blacklisting from America happened, and right before that, I got blacklisted from a couple Melbourne promotions as well. Okay. And then after I got blacklisted from them, then Philip or Fox by association got blacklisted just from being my friend. Really? And they're like, "Oh, you're you're his mate. We don't want you on the shows anymore." Um, although that was never directed. So yeah, we were like, and then. And what, again, like, when people don't speak to you or they don't know you, they sort of, they just see the character yeah. in the online. They're like, wow, he really thinks his Instagram followers mean something and he really believes he's this big fucking deal. And I'm like, yeah, well, if you, people are thinking this and I can, and it's like, there's realism there. I can just play right into Just le- lean into it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. So, all right. Well, let's talk about what's next for JXT. The juice is worth the squeeze. It starts very soon and you're in the first round. How are you feeling about that title tournament, brother? You hungry? I know you are. <laughs> Again, and, and show, it just goes to show, so the title tournament's announced, right? Yeah. And myself and Big Reed, although we're in the tag team, we're like, yeah, we are more than that. And I'm in the tournament, and I don't know if I scraped in or how I've been in, but Big Rig's not, and he's fucking pissed about it. I saw on social he's media, like, he's like, waiting for it. He's like, why the fuck am I not in this tournament? You've got wrestlers there that couldn't lace my boots, and I'm not in it. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I completely get it. And, you know, and I would have been the same if I wasn't in it. Yeah. Um, I am in it, and I'm going to go all the way. And like, be like, and like you said, all this stuff about, and I, I'm appreciative that, you know, you're like, oh, you look like a star, and I thank you. But, like, 
everything I put into. Like, I make that my job. And yeah. I spend so much time and money. My whole life is in making that happen. Yeah. So, like, we literally, the reason we're so pissed off half the time is wrestlers. Again, it's a gimmick that we feed into. But we're like, we've done all this hard work, and you have these jabronis that haven't done a third of it, and they think they're on our level. So, um, yeah, I'm pumped for the show. I'm pumped, again, for the platform. And I'm pumped to just go out there and show the people why I'm the biggest name in Australian wrestling. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Like the the amount of work that it goes into create, you know, like to build yourself into the kind of person you are and the kind of performer you are is is not easy. Like I have nothing in common with that at all, except for I had dreads for ten years. And let me tell you, that was hard fucking work. So like just having that hairstyle is hard work. So the rest of it is crazy to me. So so yeah, man. Like with that kind of ethic and that kind of fuel, dude, you can only go deep, right? Well, yeah, like you said, the hair is one thing for the look, but then, like, dieting, like, I was a scorty kid with a massive gut, and, like, to be able to get any sort of muscle and strength was hard. You know, I've worked hard for this, and the fact that there's other rest like, oh, you only got to where you are because of your body. I'm like, what? I fucking worked my ass off for this my entire life. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, the, like, like, I just woke up like this? Is that what you think? You think I'm Beyonce? Yeah, like, <laughs> watch my first matches. I was, I was this chubby-ass kid. You know, wearing tights with his gut rolls hanging over him, where I worked hard to get this body. And yeah. it's still nowhere near where I want it to be. But, like, to say that I only got opportunities because of that, no, that showed how hard I could work. Yeah. And, yeah, people could take a little page out of that book. They might have gotten good further themselves. But, legit, like, all these things play into the character because it's real. Yeah. It's all real. And, and that integrity shines through, like every every great character, like they always say, yourself turned up to 11, man, and you, you're a guy who's worked hard his whole life, yet still hears this bullshit. It's understandable you have a chip on your shoulder, so you just turn that up and just become who you are. Yeah, and like, we were already, well, mainly me, I was already copying heat for people thinking I'm this arrogant, egotistical dick, and I'm like, well, if they think I'm like that, then I'll just feed into it, because I'm going to cop the heat regardless. Yeah. So I might as well make money off it and get over with it. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Man, I'm rooting for you, dude. It's been so nice to speak to you. Thank you for making time at like the very last minute. Thanks for speaking to me while you drive on your way to the venue. Uh, you're you're going to kill it, bro. I, I cannot wait to see these shows. I couldn't make it over for them, obviously, from Perth, but I'll be uh, waiting to see them on IWTV, man. So tell the people where to find you and they can become part of your new weight when you weigh in at over 6,000 followers. <laughs> yeah, buddy, let's get there. So on the Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, at JXT underscore official, those three letters, JXT underscore official. Same as on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash JXT underscore official. I stream playing Call of Duty Warzone with my mates, unbox wrestling figures. Um, on there whenever I can and on YouTube youtube.com forward slash JXT I do a weekly vlog I'll be doing it today I just put up from the last DMDU DMDU Not Eat a Fuck Spiders my vlog from that day see backstage footage see me before the show after the show during the show um, and yeah pretty much wherever I can get out there I will so if you just look up JXT on any social media platform you'll find me dude that that's amazing it's hard just doing like 
a podcast, so I can't even imagine doing all the other things that you do in your life. Yeah. JXT is I did the a hardest work. I had man. 14 episodes and I had to can it because I'm the same as you, man. It's bloody hard, so credit to you for doing this. Oh, mate, thank you very much. Yeah, it, it, get, it gets in the way sometimes and stuff, but uh, but I find a way to go yeah. through. I, I was going to go back and actually uh, give those a listen because I saw them. They're still up everywhere. If everybody wants to check them out, they can too. What was it, the title again? It's like... Uh, it's called Talk and Stick with the J6. That, that's what it is. All the episodes are still up on all the good podcast providers, still, uh, everybody. Yeah, you see me interview Australian wrestling legend uh, Lobo. I speak with... Um, who else did I see? Jay Andrews and Jake Navarra, Steve Valick, just a lot of, I'm a big Aussie wrestling fan, yep. so I wanted to get into the sort of old school Australian wrestling, wrestlers to see what, what happened, like how it got to be to where I am now. And you can get to the venue, go and knock on the door, see if they've still got tickets, yeah. get in there, check out Deathmatch Down Under. You may very well see the hardest working man in Australian professional wrestling win the first ever inaugural heavyweight championship at Deathmatch Down Under, JXT. Dude, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Nah, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Awesome, man. Anytime, yep. So for JXT, for Faces and Fields, remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Faces and Feels. Check us out on social media, at Faces Feels Cast on Instagram, at Faces Feels Cast on Twitter, or send us an email to facesandfeels at gmail.com. Until then, peace out.